My name is Albert Johnson. I'm president of Military Working Dog Heritage Museum. So what inspired you to join the military? Oh, both of my parents were in the Army National Guard, and it just seemed like something that I uh, I would excel in. I did ROTC in high school and really enjoyed the the structure and camaraderie. So the next step was pretty easy for me. I had a scholarship to a local ROTC um, college that I could have gone to, but instead I decided to enlist in the Marine Corps. So how did you get involved with uh, working with uh, military working dogs? So that's it's kind of a funny story because I, I enlisted to be military police. And one of the offshoots is military working dog handler. And that was kind of a pipe dream of mine. Uh, so then once I got to military police school, they had an interview process where you had to write an essay and sit through an interview and I sat through the interview. I wrote my essay. They told us there was 10 spots and I ended up being the 11th spot. Uh, and they just happened to have another spot open up. So I kind of lucked into it. Can you tell me about the connection between you and the dog? Oh, every connection's a little bit different, but it's... Uh, it's like working with your best friend. You know, once once you start to mesh with the dog that you're assigned, um, it's like this the sky is the limit to what you two can do. Um, I've had I had never had a better confidant in my life. I still refer to my last military working dog as my life partner, and he's been gone for over four years now. Um, I could tell him anything. He would talk back to me. He was he was quite a character. So from that, how did you want to, you know, continue this legacy by creating this uh, foundation? Um, I was a little bit sour with the military working dog program when I got out um, because I, I had to pass my dog off. He had shown signs of uh, PTSD. Uh, we'd gotten quite a few gunfights when we were together, and anytime gunfire went off, his eyes would roll in the back of his head, and he would just lunge for people, whoever it was. A couple of times I got bit, um, so I had to pass him off to a new handler, and I got out of the Marine Corps, went back home to New Hampshire. There was no real good jobs, uh, decided to apply to the police department back on Camp Pendleton, pretty much doing the same thing I was doing in military uniform, the Marine Corps uniform as a civilian DOD police officer. So I got picked up for that. So I got to stay around and see my dog quite frequently. You know, Johnny, Johnny meant the world to me and he still does. So watching him progress with his handler was important to me and to be there when it was time for him to either be adopted out or euthanized. So I went ahead and did that for five years. Uh, the last year I was there, uh, they put him up for disposition. So they were testing him to see whether they were going to put him down or not. Um, it looked like they were going to have to put him down because he had so many bites on his records on handlers. Um, I fought tooth and nail finally got him, adopted him out, stayed at 
Camp Pendleton for about another year um, and then moved to East Tennessee. And that move to East Tennessee was really the push for me that I needed to give back. Um, we lost Johnny about a year into being here. And I felt like I lost that connection, that brotherhood, that, you know, way to honor those that came before. So my wife and I have actually adopted out five military working dogs now. So oh, that wow. kind of started what we were doing. And then uh, at Johnny's funeral, we had it at the local disabled American veterans chapter, which he was a, a member of. Um, I had put out on Facebook a call to anybody that, you know, felt the the urge to honor a military working dog, you know, feel free to show up. Here's the time and date. And come the day of, we had about 25 people in attendance. And one of the guys that showed up was this guy. He looked just like a hillbilly out of the mountains, full on white beard, bib overalls. He came up and introduced my himself to me as uh, the head of the Vietnam Dog Handlers Association. His name was Perry Money. Uh, he drove all the way from South Carolina to see my dog had a service because his dog was left over in Vietnam when they were done. Um, and a lot of those dogs were euthanized when they left because they were still considered pieces of equipment and they weren't sure of the ramifications of the diseases overseas enough to bring them back into the country. So for him to support me, it meant the world, you know, and to, and to honor Johnny. And then I found out more about what the Vietnam Dog Handlers Association did, and I kept in touch with him. And every year he would invite me out to his cabin where he hosted a reunion of Vietnam dog handlers. And for the first two years that he asked me, life was just too crazy. I didn't get to go. And then Perry passed away. And one of my biggest regrets was not getting there while Perry was there, but his wife held one the year after in honor of Perry and all these Vietnam dog handlers showed up. There was probably 35 dog handlers there. Uh, and then my wife and I, and when you went onto the property, you just felt this weight being lifted off your shoulders because you were with family. You know, the, the dog program is, is a huge family. It doesn't matter what branch of service you were in. If you handled a dog, that means something. So I met up with a, a lady named Dixie Gilmore Whitman, who used to run another uh, support organization for military working dogs and supporting them while they were overseas. And she had sent me care packages before, but she just happened to be at this reunion. And as we're sitting there listening to all these dog handlers reminisce and tell these stories, I turned to her and I said, you know, there's pockets of, historical artifacts and stories all across the nation that nobody's ever thought to bring it all together. You know, somebody should really push to create a physical museum and, and do interviews and, you know, uh, curate all of this stuff in one place so that dog handlers have a home even after their service, you know, and we can educate the public on, you know, what these amazing dogs and dog teams have done for their freedom. So this was six years ago, probably now. Um, fast forward about a year and a half after that, 
she contacted me and said that she was no longer in the organization that she had started and that she was looking to get into something else and to see if I was still interested in starting this military working dog heritage museum and uh, thought about it for a little bit. And I kept saying, you know, somebody ought to do it. Somebody ought to do it. Well, that somebody ended up being me and, and Miss Dixie, um, you know, because we wanted to see it happen because we were seeing Vietnam dog handlers pass off at alarming rate and nobody had preserved their stories, you know, and we lost so much history during that time period. So that's, that's our push right now is to get these interviews done and, and collect as much uh, artifacts as we can before they pass away. Because once they pass away, the families may hold on to the stuff or they may end up selling it off. And then it's just harder to get that um, the history that, that connects people to, pieces of art artifacts when i was looking at uh your website i saw your uh, your team and board and everything and <laughs> everyone has similar situations uh uh, uh to you similar uh stories uh yes. how is it working with a team that wants this uh mission amplified oh it's it's incredible i i've never been around a stronger team in my life, you know, and, and every day we're picking up new volunteers because they see the importance of it. You know, some of these guys, you know, especially our Vietnam dog handlers on our board of directors, you know, they've been 50 years outside of the dog program. So when mm -hmm. we start talking about what we're doing, they're going, heck yeah, we want to see this happen before something happens to us. You know, that's very important to them. And to see and talk to them versus the new guys we've got, you know, coming out of the military in the last 10, 15 years, you know, the stories, you know, the countries are different. The situations were different, but the training methods and what those dogs did for, for each individual was the same. And, and to have them come together to want to honor you know, their dogs and the dogs that they, they knew, and even the dogs that they never got to know the dog teams that they never got to know, you know, is, is super vital to the, the core of our mission. What motivates you? Me personally, it's, it's being able to share with the public, uh, my working dog, Johnny. So Johnny had a handler before me who actually trained him in Israel. So the Israelis were teaching the U.S. personnel uh, how to utilize dogs off leash in combat because they had been doing it for years, years and years prior. And so he had a handler before me. He took him on two deployments, you know, and and they had very rough deployments. They Their vehicle had been blown up. They'd gotten several gunfights. Then fast forward to me picking him up. I did two deployments with him in Baghdad, Iraq, and we were getting shot at all the time, uh, searching for explosives. You just never knew what was going to happen. You know, he found, uh, I think, six um, caches of weaponry and explosives while I was with him alone. And then he did one more deployment with another guy after me. So being able to tell Johnny's story you know, something that I'm super connected with and that resonates with these other handlers, but it also informs the public of, of how important these dogs are to the mission. 
you know, the military has been trying to replace military working dogs with technology for over 40 years. And it doesn't matter how much money they spend on technology, they cannot produce the same efficiency as a working dog. So you talked earlier about your relationship with Johnny, but what did you uh, learn from him? Not only, you know, as a military working dog, but after you adopted him. Oh, you know, for, for him, it was like a light switch when, when he retired. So I'll, I'll talk about the, the pre-retirement first, you know, he, he taught me patience. He taught me trusting in an animal, you know, uh, where before, you know, it was, I was very self-centered in my thoughts. I was going to protect me. This is what I was going to do. This is what I brought to the table. Well, he brought, you know, three times that to the table and he didn't even have a voice at the table. You know, uh, patience was a huge thing that he taught me because I may have wanted him to go out and search a hundred feet in front of me and make an immediate left into this field and search this thing, but he had his own mind, you know, and he, he knew what he was doing. And I trusted that I blindly trusted that dog to go anywhere and do anything, you know, so it, it brought my trust back into, you know, not only working dogs, but, but humanity as well, even in my darkest times, you know, he was my therapist long before I knew I needed a therapist you know, I could tell that dog anything. And and he was right there with me through thick and thin. You know, he had this thing that he used to do. If I started to scold him or something, he would start barking and talking back, you know, so we would have full on discussions together that nobody else would understand. Now, going back to his retirement, you know, it was like a light switch for him. You know, the military thought he was too dangerous to be adopted out to a family you know, and it was just me and my wife and we were both dog handlers. So it was a little easier for them to accept, you know, but within weeks, you know, he figured out what a couch was. He figured out what a comfortable <laughs> bed was, you know, he figured out that he didn't have to work for his food or his toys anymore, you know, and just to be able to see him having more joy than he ever had in his life was was freeing to me. You know, we were, we were doing something for him that he otherwise would not have gotten the opportunity to do, you know, and, and he had absolutely found out later on, you know, probably six months into having him, he loves kids. You know, they were always afraid to put him around kids because of his training and his background, but that dog was so nurturing around kids. It was, it was unbelievable. So it taught me that, that even, even people that, you know, you may write off for one direction for something that they did, they can turn around, you know, and that's exactly what he did. You know, he did a complete 180 and uh, and turned around and, and ended up having an, a, an amazing retirement. And he actually helped train three other working dogs that we had to take retirement as well as he did. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So with you were talking about uh, interviewing uh, Vietnam veteran uh, dog handlers, but what mm -hmm. is the process with the interviewing and collecting artifacts? 
Okay, so for the interviews, it, it's pretty easy. Um, if if they have any interest at all in in telling their stories, you know, a lot of times it's it's us making face to face contact with them because they don't they don't necessarily trust the internet and they don't trust what they see on the internet. They're not a lot of them are not tech savvy. So if we can make contact with them in person, or even if they reach out to us on the on the uh, website, you know, it, it's very easy. All they have to do is fill out an inquiry if they're on the website. If we're in person, they just say, hey, we'd like to schedule an interview with you. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. We set up a time and date. We send them an email that has our release forms for our video, which just covers us legally, anything that we share. Um, they get the uh, a suggestion of just kind of what to prep with. You know, the interviews take anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how much they want to share. So, you know, if you need a bathroom break, you let us know. If you need a drink, feel free to drink while you're there, you know, as long as it's not alcoholic, because we don't want to, you know, we right. are a public ent entity. Um, but, you know, and then just the interview questions, which the interview questions, there's 12 questions we ask. They're very basic, you know, tell us about why you wanted to get into the military. Tell us what brought you into the, uh, into the military working dog program. What did your dog teach you? Um, what, you know, tell us about a mission that you went on if they deployed, you know, and then, you know, pretty much letting them lead the rest of the interview, you know, anything that they want to share or preserve, because, you know, eventually this is all going to go into a giant database yeah. that people can search on our website, you know, so if they have family members say, you know, God forbid they pass away, you know, and they may have never told their family any of these stories. So then their family can go ahead and say, okay, I want to go see John Smith's interview and they can do that. And that's also brought, brought in a lot of our artifacts as well. You know, after they do the interview, they go, you know what, after talking to you, this is really cathartic. You know, my family shows very little interest in you know, keeping my uniforms or my dog leash or any of that stuff. They don't have the connection to it that I do, but I know you guys will, you know, preserve that and do right by the artifacts. And that's how we get some of the artifacts. Um, that's, that's our push right now to get artifacts that way, just because we have the lineage and the stories that go along with those items. Now for some items that come up that are, that are rarer, like we have, two World War II messenger dog collars uh, from the Marine Corps, you know, those items, those World War II dog handlers are, are gone, you know, long gone. So we pick them up um, at auctions and things like that and just pick up whatever information we can with the items. You said your wife's also a dog handler. How is it having a support system that, uh, uh, you can relate to. Oh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. You know, I, I did five years in the Marine Corps. My wife did eight. Um, she, she went through uh, a lot of the same stuff that I went through, but she also went through advanced courses that I didn't go to through. Like she went through the tracking dog school. She went through uh, the uh, instructor courses um, and all that stuff. So being able to, on my, my bad days 
relate to, you know, say something brings up a bad memory. I can talk to her about that and she can relate to the feelings between the dog and I, where I don't know if I had a wife that, that had not served and had not been a dog handler that I could do that as freely. You know, for me, that was, that was super important. And she's helped me through quite a bit because I, I deal with uh, PTSD and depression myself. Um, so adopting these working dogs is one of my therapies doing this, uh, organization, this museum is another one of them. And then having a support system at home every day in between, um, really just rounds it out for me. That that's interesting. I talked to a lot of people, uh, transitioning out of the military and the, the challenges that face that, but being able to adopt uh, Johnny, ha- did that help a little bit with the transition? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when I had to hand him over to his uh, last handler, it absolutely destroyed me because I didn't have my partner with me every day. You know, that's when I actually got diagnosed with PTSD uh, was during that time frame. Uh, and then depression, you know, I just, I wasn't the same. I was very lethargic all the time. I was easy to anger. And once I adopted Johnny, I wouldn't say all of it went away, but I could function daily a whole lot better than I had been without him. You know, he was, he was my therapy. You know, I could go home from a bad day at the police department, uh, exhausted. And the first thing he did was meet me at the door. You know, I'd throw my gear down, I'd sit on the couch and he would just come over, jump on me, flop it. And we would wrestle on the couch for 20, 30 minutes. And that to me was the best therapy that I've ever had in my life. So where do you want to see the organization in the next three to five years? In the next three to five years, we would love to have uh, a a great revenue stream coming in um, and do more in working toward physically planting this museum in a location. Uh, right now, we are two years into the organization. Uh, starting an organization in the midst of COVID was really hard financially to do. Um, we had some great donors that got us through. Um, I don't believe we're at the point where we're thriving financially. Uh, we have enough money to go to events and share our information. Uh, like this year, we've got eight events on the calendar that we're going out to the public. Uh, One of those is actually in May to the Army's Military Working Dog Symposium, where they're holding training and they've got a a vendor days that we're going to be going to. So we bring uh, little care packages for all the handlers in attendance. There's supposed to be 300 handlers in attendance. We're making up 300 gift bags for them to support them with dog toys, uh, a video of the history of working dogs, uh, a poster a collapsible water bowl that they can take with them. Um, And then we're also going to set up a historical display so that that when they decide to get out of the military, they know that if they want to get rid of anything or tell their stories, that we're here. You know, and that was important to us was to bring the current day handlers into the fold because they're going to be the ones that take this over long after I'm gone, you know, and they're going to carry it on. Um, But we also have a Vietnam... Uh, welcome home that we do in Kokomo, Indiana, 
that's toward the end of the year. And we met up with 15 dog handlers last year from the Vietnam era um, and the Vietnam War. Uh, and three of those have given us interviews. So we hope to every year, you know, going out and doing these public appearances, um, bring in more interviews, bring in more artifacts, and in turn, hopefully run into some people that can then help us financially. Uh, we're working on our business plan right now. Uh, there's a lot of market research that goes into that to figure out where we're going to place the museum. Uh, you know, the plan is in the next 10 years, we want to have a building. You know, that's our goal. So five years down the lane, we're working this thing financially any way that we can.